So good morning, everyone. We're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah. If you want to get your Bibles out or your digital Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Wayne. I'm one of the members here. And um, we are starting the Christmas season. Yeah. (laughs) And so, I don't know about you, but when I read the Christmas story, my focus is often into the New Testament, out of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where the story of Jesus being shared with Joseph and Mary, that um, he is coming. And It's amazing to see the obedience and the faith that these two individuals have as they're told about Jesus' birth. And then they have the joy and the experience. We don't think about this very much, but the marvelous nine months and then the arrival of Jesus that comes afterwards. But we need to remember that um, the promise of Jesus' arrival was not the first time there in the Gospels. It was actually 700 years earlier, right here in the book of Isaiah, that it was prophesied that Jesus was being foretold that he was coming. So, as is our tradition here at King's Cross, will you stand with me as we read God's Word? Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to speak to us today. And Lord, help us to hear what it is that you want to share with us. Father, as we approach a season that can be so busy, you call us and remind us to hope. That's what this passage is about. Even though the word does not appear, it is what hope is. 
And so, Father, help us today to really understand what it is, how to have it in our life, and how to keep it active and going in our life. So, Lord, teach us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, as Dan mentioned at... um, as we were worshiping, uh, this is the first week of celebrating the Advent season, and Advent means, as he suggested, arrival and coming. And so we start the Advent season by being reminded of an arrival. Now, there was already an arrival. 2,023 years ago, Jesus arrived. And so there's that arrival, but then, however, we stand here and looking, not just looking back, but also looking forward at the arrival of Jesus' return. So here we are at this point in the Advent season where we look back at a passage that's almost 3,000 years old, foretelling of the hope of the arrival of Jesus for the very first time on earth. And then we look forward with longing of hope of an unknown time of his return. So We remember the arrival, and we anticipate the coming of Jesus, but we do so hoping. See, hope is essential to a healthy life. Um, Studies have determined that hope reduces the feeling of helplessness. It increases happiness. It reduces stress. If you're looking for a stress reducer, put more hope in your life. And then it improves, actually, the physical quality of our life. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 13, the 13th verse It says, it it identifies hope as one of the three essential essential components of a tridactic formula. It says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So, what is hope? So, in order for me to share with you what hope is, I found a verse that I think describes it the best. It's in Hebrews 11.1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So in this verse, faith and hope are a related concept, but they're also very distinctly different. So let's first look at what faith is. Faith is a complete trust or confidence in something. However, that faith involves some kind of intellectual assent to a set of facts, and then putting trust in those facts. For example, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, this means we completely trust Jesus for our eternal destiny. If you study the Bible and other historical documents, then there are facts that support that Jesus lived and walked on earth, that he was crucified, that he was resurrected, and then we put our trust in his death and resurrection for our salvation. So that's what faith is. So hope, what's hope? Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. In Romans 8.24, Paul talks about hope this way. Hope must involve something that has yet unseen. Hope that is seen is no hope at all, he says. Who hopes for what they already have? So you don't hope for something you have. You hope for something 
that you don't know, you haven't seen it yet. So here's the relationship between faith and hope. I think I always need an example to help me understand things a little bit better. So in order to understand this, I put it in uh, a relationship. We just bought tickets for our one set of kids and grandkids to go to Disneyland. And so it's like telling a, a kid that we're going to Disneyland next week. So the child believes that they're going to Disneyland based upon the fact that their parents have told the truth quite often. And so there is dependence that what they're sharing with them is actually going to happen. That's faith. They trust in that fact. But at the same time, that belief within the child starts to kindle an irrepressible excitement. That is hope. And so the child, natural trust in his parents saying, okay, we're going to Disneyland next week. But that hope is that the squeal of delight and jumping up and down is the expression of hope. So they are related somewhat, but they're definitely distinctly different. So we're going to be talking about hope today. I heard a pastor once said, when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. I think quite often we sometimes get down to nothing. We can get frustrated. We can get discouraged. We can maybe even get depressed. And I think sometimes we just need to be reminded that God is up to something in our life. So I need your help this morning. Will you turn to the person to your right or to your left and just say, God is up to something in your life right now? Thank you. Um, Whether you have had an absolutely fantastic year or you've had a year that feels like just it's it's full of failures, God is up to something in your life. Just here in this book of Isaiah that we just read about, God was up to something in the nation of Israel because Israel was suffering the consequences of their sins and their actions. And Isaiah's book reminds them and warns them of those consequences that are coming. And even in the darkest of times, God was up to something. So let's look at the verses again that we just read. In verse 1, we read, The gloom of her who, I'm sorry, the gloom of her who was in anguish. In verse 2, People walking in darkness and those dwelling in deep darkness. In verse 4, the yoke of burden and the rod of the oppressor. And in verse 5, we read, the boots trampling in battle and the garments rolled in blood. This is some dark stuff. These are some hard times for Israel. But you may have noticed I only read half of the verse, right? I didn't read the whole verse. So let's look again at verse 1. There's actually the word no in place or in front of gloom. So no gloom for her who was in anguish. And then for people walking in darkness, there is a light. And for those dwelling in deep darkness, the light shone. So I really want to understand this relationship between just light and light shone. And what that meant. So I looked up the verse or the word shown in Hebrew, and it is the word naga. 
And so what does nagah mean? It means to glitter, to flash, to illuminate, to shine. So this is how I see this verse acting out. This is a light that gets cast all the way back to the beginning of time and is shining all the way forward to the time that we are with Christ again. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here in this verse, we're reminded that there is a light that shines so brightly that it gives us, it illuminates our path and keeps us from living in darkness and in deep darkness. Then in verse 4, the yoke of burden and the rod of the oppressor, that has been broken. And in verse 5, the trampling of boots in battle and the garments rolled in blood, it says that they're burned up that they vanish, they disappear. There is no more war. It is over, it is done. You know, we live in a time right now where there's a lot of war going on. It feels like it's closer because news brings it right to our front door all the time. And what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in Israel, it's huge. It's, it's in areas that, yes, we're on the front lines and have the potential of conflict, but we just didn't think that would all erupt. And that's sort of the year that we've lived through this year. You can begin to see that God was up to something in Israel. He was vanishing the war. He was adding light to the darkness. He was bringing hope to the children of Israel. Even in times of anguish, darkness and oppression and battle. God is turning these difficult times into hope for them, and he's turning it into hope for us. God is saying, now hope. Whatever you're going through in your life, now hope. Whether it is the best of times or it is the worst of times, now hope. So when I'm beginning to get tossed back and forth and I feel like I'm getting torn apart, God's basically saying, now hope. The times that we feel most hopeless, God's calling us to draw on that hope. R.C. Sproul, um, he's a theologian, American theologian, a pastor, an author. He said this about hope. Hope is called the anchor of the soul. That's found in Hebrews 6, 19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such a would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of a promise of the future that God has made. So you might say, well, what promise, what future has God made? I think Jeremiah 29, 11 provides us some clarity it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Whatever you're going through in this season, whatever disappointments that you're feeling, God is right now just saying, I want you to draw on hope. Now is the time to hope. 
Sometimes it's easy when everything's going your way. It's like, ah, it's great. But hope, that excitement, that joy, that something that I do not see yet can actually happen. Better days are on the way. That God actually has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans that will give us hope in a future. Now hope. Okay, so how do we discover a hope that will not disappoint? There's a lot of things we put our hope in that really just come up short. Um, you know, we, we hope that our savings will grow, that our stocks will go up. Well, that's sort of been disappointing this year. Uh, we hope that I get a job or I get a better job. And some of us have been struggling with that for, some of you may have been struggling with that for a while. So, how do we today, as we look at something to hang our hope on, something that will not disappoint, I want us to share, I want to share a quote with you from our pastor who shared during his study in Hebrews. He said this, hope is not a request or a wish, it is a person, the person Jesus Christ. So, Let's understand who Jesus is. In order to do that, let's now look at verse 6 in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In this half of a verse, Isaiah identifies Jesus' humanity, his deity, that he is God, and his sovereignty, that he rules in our life. So there's a lot to unpack in these three little phrases, so let's just take a quick look. First of all, it says, for to us, a child is born. This speaks to Jesus' humanity. It is what we celebrate during the Advent season. The coming of a baby into the world. Jesus the infant. And that's the Christmas story, right? That's, that's the Bethlehem. That's the nativity. As Christians, it seems like we have no problem defending Jesus' deity but we do have a difficult time from time to time identifying Jesus' humanity. And we should, you know, defend Jesus' deity. I mean, the Bible speaks, there's plenty of examples and testimonies in the Bible of miracles that he's done, things that he's foretold. And so, obviously, Jesus was God on earth, but he was also 100% human. So, in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you read on down to verse 14, it goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's think about this. This is Jesus as an embryo with an umbilical cord, and then being born, and then being an infant. We've had a number of infants in our church recently, and they're very dependent. You may have been here in church and you've heard one cry out. They're sort of saying that they need something, and then the mom and dad are trying to figure out what it is that they need. But it goes on to that Jesus then had to learn how to walk. <laughs> My grandson right now is doing this. He's, he's learning to walk for the first time. And, and he's sort of like a tigger. He falls on his butt and then automatically gets right back up and goes about three steps and then falls down again. And so 
thinking about that, I'm like, Jesus had to go through that, just like every child in the world. And then he became a teenager, pimples and doing all the teenager stuff. You remember in the Bible, the story where his parents were packing up to go home and they assumed that Jesus was with friends or family as they were leaving and they got a whole day's journey away to realize that Jesus wasn't with them any longer. So they went looking for Jesus and they found him and 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 in, in Luke 2:49 we get a very typical teenager response. He goes, "Why were you searching for me?" he asked. "Didn't you know that I would be about my father's work or my father's house?" So it totally sounds like a teenager's response. And then now listen to the reaction of the parents. This is totally a teenage parent reaction. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. <laughs> See, Jesus' humanity, he, he got thirsty. Remember the woman at the well? And he got hungry. Some might even say he got a little hangry. And uh, there was the story... And uh, in Mark uh, 11, 12 through 14, that Jesus saw a fig tree and he went to go get figs off of it and it didn't have any figs. And so he said to the fig tree, may, you, may no one ever eat fruit off of you again. He got a little hangry. It's like he, he was going through the drive through fig tree and there was no figs available. See, Jesus suffered and was tempted just like we were. In Hebrews 2.18, it says, in order to serve as a true example, that he had to suffer and be tempted as we were. He had to experience human suffering and temptation even unto death. And by doing so, he became the hope of our salvation. So that is the first phrase Unto us a child is born. The next phrase then says, to us a son is given. Now, this speaks of Jesus' deity. Please notice the change in wording here. It went from uh, he is born to he is given. So one suggests coming into existence. The other suggests he already exists and therefore he is given. This suggests a pre-existing deity, an existence that is the second person in the Trinity that we sing about this morning. Unto us a son is given. This is the same idea that we can see in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here in Isaiah, we see that Jesus is a better hope. He, has, he is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace. You want a place to hang your hope on? Something that is solid, that will not disappoint? You want to place it in Jesus. So we've looked at Jesus' humanity. We've looked at his deity. Now let's look at his sovereignty. In verse 6, it then goes on to say, the government shall be upon his shoulder. I had to do a little study here to understand what the scripture was actually talking about. 
about the government being on the shoulder. The original idea uh, is like a king or a monarch who carries the burden for caring for the subjects in his realm. And so this was sort of materialized or given as an example by putting a robe on his shoulders to remind him that he carried the burden of caring for everyone under his jurisdiction. And so this is represented by a robe on the shoulder, the back of the king, and it represents the burden of responsibility. Here in this verse, Isaiah is allowing us to see beyond Jesus and beyond his birth, past the death of Jesus, and all the way to Christ's return when his kingdom will be established. Isaiah prophesies in this verse that Jesus came to earth unto you a child is born, lived on earth, and is coming back to rule as a wonderful counselor and a mighty good God, a loving father that's going to bring everlasting peace. I think that's a hope that will not disappoint. So, In this half of a verse, we have found hope that does not disappoint, and it's in Jesus, who experienced living in a hopeless world, and he suffered as we have, and who has the power to help us overcome whatever disappointments we may face, and who bears our burdens so that we are not to bear them alone. Romans 5 2 through 5 really sort of clarifies this a little bit. It says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. I'm going to read that again because some of you are like, What? We're doing what? Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering, it produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Whatever this Advent season holds for you, it is important to remember that in our lives that we enjoy the things that we enjoy the most are not necessarily those things that produce the most fruit in our life. And the seasons in our life that we get the most out of, the most character, the most perseverance, patience, the most hope, those are some of the times in our life that we would really, would rather choose not to go through. So you may feel like Jesus has let you down and you are suffering but hold on to the hope because the story, your story, your life has not finished yet. He has a plan for you. You are experiencing, whatever you're experiencing today, Paul says, no. No hope, real hope, true hope, that is supplied by God himself. And it doesn't disappoint. Not Not that day, not on that day, that better day in the future, there will be no regrets, no wishing there was more. All those longings for more, you will be satisfied. 
Hope is not a request. It's not a wish. It is a person. It is the person Jesus Christ. So, we've looked at this passage and we've learned some things about Isaiah prophesying about a hope that is to come. And even for us, he prophesies even farther a hope that is yet to come in Jesus' return. But what do we do now with this passage? How do we put it into practice? Where do we go from here? So I'm going to ask you to consider how do we keep this Advent season alive and fresh in our season? How do we keep this hope alive? Consider doing something over the next 30 days. Take your time and focus more on Scripture. Here's the reality of what's going to be happening in the next 30 days. Um, It's going to be busy. There's going to be a lot of parties going on. Uh, You're going to be shopping a lot, and you're going to be spending money. Some you may have, some you may not have. Uh, You're going to be getting tired, and instead of burning up a lot of energy trying to swim upstream against a current that you may not be successful at swimming against, I want to challenge you to become a little bit stronger, aggressive swimmer by adjusting how you read Scripture. Increase the frequency of Scripture reading. Add a day or add a minute or minutes to your time that you spend reading Scripture. Read it out loud. Bring your family together, bring roommates together, and read it out loud together. Memorize it. Memorize a verse. There's a bunch of verses that I shared with you this morning. They went up on the screen. If you're looking for them, we can help you find verses. But find a verse, two verses, half a dozen verses, and actually put them to memory. A great way to memorize verses, by the way, is through song. So find songs that have scripture in it, and you will be memorizing scripture while you're doing it. So over the Advent season, if you could just turn and tune your heart just a little bit more into God's Word. Why? Because it's through Scripture that our perspective is lifted and the fog clears a little bit. So as we navigate the craziness of this season, I want to remind you again that true hope, a future hope that is ours in Christ So, as you increase your focus on God's Word, I encourage you to put the promises of God right there in your heart, and that you will keep that hope alive. So, again, the verses that we looked at this morning, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He offers peace. You can believe it. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He has words of wisdom read it. There is, a, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can memorize it. I am a new creation in Christ, even though I feel dirty, even though I have been washed, I have been set free. I am a new creation. Sing it out loud. There is a day when Jesus will come back to redeem us and rescue fully and finally and forever. Hope in it. 
See, now is the time for hope. And in Isaiah 9-7, as we close out this chapter, it says, the increase of the government and the peace that there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his, that's not David's kingdom, that is the kingdom of God, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love this. Listen to this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now hope. God is saying, I am going to make it happen you can hope in it. Uh, Corey Timboom is one of my uh, sort of spiritual heroes. I love her life and what she has had to say throughout her life and the trials that she went through and how she faced them. She said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So whatever you think that you're going to be facing this next year, whatever you think you're going to be facing during this season, You can face it by the God you know. So that's my challenge to you Christians on how to keep hope alive. But if you're here today, and for those of you that maybe don't consider yourself believers in Christ, you you may be here because you're closing out your Thanksgiving holiday and your family dragged you along or a friend invited you. And so you're sitting here today, and I want to encourage you to consider receiving the free gift that God's offering you today. God right now is offering the gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, he points out that right now, in this moment, God himself is making his appeal, and that appeal is is what he's offering you. He's saying to you, I care about you. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. It's not just a forever future kind of thing. It's a right now kind of thing as well. The invitation that he is offering you is an opportunity to be forgiven, to take the weight of sin off of your shoulders, to remove the hopelessness that you may be feeling. And to be lifted up. He's offering you a life that you cannot earn on your own. He's offering you grace. And if you say, hey, it sounds too good to be true. Well, you're right. It is too good to be true. And if you say that you don't deserve it. Well, you're right again. None of us deserve it. But he offers it because he loves us. If I can sum up in one word what he's offering us today. It's something that you seriously cannot get all on your own, and that is hope. He's offering us hope. J.L. Packard, a preacher and author, he says, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace of God, hope of glory, because the Father will... Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on the cross. See, without Christ, there is no hope. But 
Today, what I'm challenging you to do is now hope. So, let's pray. And after I pray, uh, there'll be a couple of people up here on either side of the sanctuary, a part of our prayer ministry, and they're here for you. If you have been thinking about the hopelessness that you're experiencing or feeling, you just want someone to pray with you, come up and pray with them. If you're here and you're a Christian and you just go, hey, I really need to get hope alive in my life, and you need someone to pray with you, come down and pray with them. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and you've done so much for us, and we realize today that the hope that we have is only because we have it in you. You provide that. You provide it by having a relationship with us and by telling us there is something yet to come that is greater than anything that we can imagine. The day that we get to see you face to face is a day that you are letting us know that you've been planning for a very long time. And it's exciting to know that it's going to be better than Disneyland. And Father, we love you so much for giving us this one thing that we all need so desperately in our life, and that is hope. In Jesus' name, amen.